So if you've been here for a few weeks, you know that we're doing a series called Wrapping Up and where we look kind of back at 2020 and forward to uh, 2021 and this Christmas season. And so every week we've been uh, breaking out the old gift wrapping table. This is always part of the procedure. And then we have been talking about uh, a game yeah, of, um, of what would make, what would fit for this week's theme. Um, I don't know why that first little stopover throws me off almost every time. There's our gift wrapping table. So what, this week we're talking about joy in hard times, because I don't know how it's been for you, but if you look back on 2020, like, has it been hard, right? Like, has it been uh, difficult at all? Like, it looks like in the room, it's kind of been a hard year, <laughs> you know? Like, it's not the year we thought we would have when we started out. Now, I know, by the way, um, I'm so encouraged because I've talked to folks who have, um, who have uh, really been blessed in 2020. So I'm not saying that everyone has had a particularly hard year, but for many people, it's been a hard year, right? There's actually something in the kind of cultural conversation where we all begin to freak out because we're like having a hard time together, you know? Like, I don't know if you know this, but almost every year people have hard times. Did you know that? (laughs) I know 2020 feels like this like 2020, (laughs) you know, like the only year that ever existed. That's not true, right? But it's somehow it's that cultural experience of all of us together, not only in this, you know, city and state and uh, country, but in the world having the same crisis at the same time. And uh, so I thought, what game would be an appropriate game to wrap up uh, 2020? And, uh, and this is what I came up with. This, oh, I'm glad it's still here, by the way, because it's been stashed here. It's the game of life. <laughs> That's right, the game of life. How many of you played the game of life before? Yeah, how many of you like the game of life? Really? Good for you. <laughs> Such a bad attitude there, Kristen. <laughs> she doesn't like the game of life. We have it on record. Um, and so uh, we got our, wall, our, our wrapping paper, wallpaper today, and um, wrap up the game of life. Yeah, so, ooh, look. Oh, that's fun. It's already on the board. Look, you can just play with that already in the store, in the store. You know what was crazy about the game of life? I didn't know until uh, I prepared this morning for this. The game of life was invented in 1860. 1860. It's one of the first kind of breakout, um, they called them parlor games back then, of, huh? And that, you know what's funny? It's funny you would say that, because in 1960, it got totally reworked into what we know today. So if you played 1960, that was the first year it was reworked, because before that, it was this kind of like just a checkerboard with like kind of life consequences you had to get. I, I looked at the board. I couldn't understand how that would work, but that was, that was what, uh, how it started. Um, by the way, if it's your first week with us, we're glad to have you here this morning, and you might take note that um, I might not be the best gift wrapper. I mean, there's been some conversation about this, uh, but I do what I can, so we'll just see if we can get this wrapped up this morning together. Um, but in, in uh, 1960, they made the um, car, you know, the day of the time of the drive-in, drive-through, cross-country trips, and all the great stuff that we enjoy in this country, and... Um, and so they had the kind of roadside attraction. So I don't know if you're like me, but my favorite thing, I didn't have the game of life growing up. Um, I don't know why. I just never had it. But 
my favorite thing was uh, getting a car. <laughs> just as a young dude, I'm like, I got my first car, you know, and I didn't care much about the game after that. I just wanted to drive it around on the track. And I, my, the rule followers, and, and some of you know me, I'm a rule follower now, but I always wasn't, and people, you know, I'd be like, I don't care, and they're like, you can't do that. I can do whatever I want. I got a car, man. So I enjoyed that part of the game. Uh, didn't look forward to some of those life consequences that would come at you. It's kind of a game of dealing with the realities of life. As a matter of fact, I spun that wheel, and that wheel is like the wheel of chance, right? And uh, you get assigned some things in life. You get assigned, um, uh, well, you get a vehicle, so thank God everybody gets a car. You get uh, assigned maybe a spouse uh, by your, uh, the things you land on. You get assigned um, other things. matter of fact, uh, this one is the 2017 edition, which has pets. So now you can get assigned a dog or a cat to make your life even more fun than it would be otherwise. And uh, so there's that. Um, and the other thing I thought was really great about the game of life is there's actually not a 2020 version, although there might be, right, <laughs> for long. But there's actually the newest iteration of the game of life, which is called, um, which is called, what is it called? Uh, um, Quarter life crisis, now with crushing debt. I kid you not, that's the 2019 version of this game. So it's called, and I had to think about that, I mean, it's like quarter life crisis, and I'm like, oh, they mean 25-year-olds having a life crisis at 25 because you've got $100,000 in student, actually $500,000 in student loan debt that the game gives you, and your whole goal of the game, the one who wins, which I like this part of that rule, is... The one who pays off all their debt first. That's how you win. There's no millionaire acres to retire to, right? Um, this is basically, that's how you win, is by paying off your debt, getting out of the soul-crushing debt. And of course, like any good debt game, though, if you can't pay what you owe, you have to borrow even more to get out of the debt hole that you found yourself in in this game called life. So let me finish uh, wrapping this guy up. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the, uh, the newest iteration of the game. You know, one of the things that's funny about the game called Life is maybe you got that career that you uh, really wanted, you know, got the high-paying career, and you're like, oh, this is awesome, and then you land on that piece, and it's like, oh, no, you have to get a different career, and you go from, like, I mean, this might have, like, you go from, like, uh, being a lawyer or a doctor or something to being, like, a, um, I don't know, pet groomer or, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the one that's called the soul-crushing debt one, it has, like, you have to have side gigs as well. You have to work three jobs to make your payments. Like, that's one of the things of that one. Um, you have to have a side hustle all the time where people pay you for extra work that you're not doing at your regular job and all that. So kind of uh, funny stuff. You're, you're bouncing along. The, I know the new one, you're... you're, um, you're you might get a spouse. You, you, you might get pets. And then you get to the... Uh, you hit that marriage button again, that means that you get a divorce. That's not what, and then you get paid less when you get a divorce. Oh, it costs you money? A game called life, right? They're just looking at what happens to us. Now we have to do our favorite part and pick a bow. I'm really running out of bows here. I don't know if I have any other colors over there. Let's see here, yep. Oh yeah, yeah, I can't forget the purple. So we gotta choose a color. Anybody have an opinion? What would look nice on this lovely, Game called Life. Blue. Green. You guys are awesome. All right. Let's do it. 
So we're going to spend some time this morning in God's Word talking about the game of life and um, what it might look like uh, to, uh, to win at this game called life. Matter of fact, what we're going to talk about is this idea that, look at that, huh? Beautiful. I appreciate you guys helping me out with this game called life. What it might look like and what, uh, how there's a purpose for everything in life. Purpose for everything in life. You spin that wheel and it goes click, 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 and you're like, ah. Oh. And what's that moment about in this life? So we're going to, we always do, we're going to pray before we get in God's word that he would give us wisdom and understanding today together. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together in this life right now in real time and talk to you, our real God who is with us and speaking to your people. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would have eyes uh, and minds, uh, hearts fixed to you, looking to you, that you would teach us from your word, that we could understand more of what this has meant in 2020, but even more importantly, what it means as we look to Christmas and 2020. 21 and beyond, what our future could look like if we rightly interpret our experiences. Lord, help us to do this. We have no wisdom of our own. I claim no special authority uh, except that you speak your word to your people. We pray that you would do so with the power of your Holy Spirit. You would teach us in our hearts that we would be changed and made more like you, more wise in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do something different this morning as uh, we get into this, and uh, we're going to really sit in a passage today and talk about it pretty, pretty deeply. I hope that's okay with everybody. And uh, so we're going to spend some time here. We're going to, I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. We talked last week a little bit about how uh, Job had struggles and other things, but James is a book where he just lays out some things very, very directly um, about what, uh, what, what life might look like. So read it with me. Uh, Two through four is all we're going to talk about. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That's all we're going to talk about today is count it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Right? And he goes on to explain the purpose of those trials and what they bring into our life. And that's the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that believers lead with joy. And I don't mean they lead with joy like, like they lead, but they might lead, with, but they're going to lead with joy, but they're going to go first with joy in their lives. Right? That's going to be your default position. As a matter of fact, I want to point out to you this morning that in this book, James is going to write to the church and his first thing he's going to tell the church who's listening to him is, brothers and sisters, you've got to lead with joy. He says, one of the translations says, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Um, uh, the word I'm using there is lead, but it's an appropriate use of that word. There's other words that we can say here. Uh, consider or esteem these things to be pure joy. Now, I want to say something. It's, you might notice there's a key word in here that I, at first, when I started prepping, I'm like, I'm just, I wasn't paying attention to it, and it's brothers and sisters. I want to say something. that This does say that believers lead with joy. And so this morning, if you're not a believer, I'm going to ask you to hang with me because we're going to talk about what God's doing in your life as a non-believer. But I want you to understand something, that this text is written to the church, and he's saying that brothers and sisters, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Lead with joy, consider it joy, esteem it as joy. 
what? Everything. And there's a word that we talk about a lot. This recurs so many times in the New Testament, but it's all, and it means each, every, and the whole. Everything counted as joy. Well, that gives us a chance then to define what joy looks like, right? Because we often will hear the word joy, and matter of fact, it's on our window, right? One of my favorite Christmas displays is the great big J-O-Y, or the one that has J-O, and they've got the nativity in the O, those white signs, and Y, and you look at that, and uh, I love that, but what does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to have joy in your life or to lead with joy? I think one thing that we do is we conflate joy with happiness. Happy, 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 right? It's joy, joy, joy. Joy has this idea of a calm delight. Of a, I, I wrote down a couple of things here because I was uh, so impressed by the, the words, but it's a gladness. It's a calm delight or a joy. Here, here's where I, my favorite definition is. It's a confidence in God's favor and grace. And you know what? You need a confidence in God's favor and grace specifically when things are not going well. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's easy to be joyful when things are going great. You know, you got that new job, you got married, you got the car, you, 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 you graduated from college after eight years. Maybe you did it faster, but some of us take longer than you, right? But when you get there, you're like, yeah, in that moment, it's easy. But he doesn't say, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when life's going great for you, count it all joy when everything's going your way. He says, no, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, and that's what I want to talk about next then is that, listen, it says that believers will suffer hard times. Believers will suffer hard times. And, and, and this is one of those things that is shocking to me if, if, if you have to say this aloud because if you don't think that this is true, you've not read the Bible. You've not read all the places it's recorded that believers will suffer hardship. It says What? Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Where's in verse 2 yet? What does it mean to face trials? Here's a, a, a couple of things. I, it means that you've fallen into a hardship. You've, uh, you've stumbled upon it. You've happened upon it. Literally, the imagery, I know I've told you all before that my favorite word is peripateo. One of my favorite words in Greek is peripateo. Um, but this one's similar. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but it means to fall into. Like, it doesn't mean to walk around. Like, you don't walk around the trap. You fall into the trap. Matter of fact, the mental image I get is you're just walking along, and all of a sudden, you remember those booby traps like in the cool movies when, you know, the bad guys in the forest, he's like running up, boom, he falls in the hole. Like, that's what it means. You don't see it coming. It's not expected. And, and, and James writes to the church and he says, when that happens, listen to me, when you find yourself falling in the pit, surrounded on all sides by adversity, in that moment, brothers and sisters, count it all joy. What? Count it all joy when you fall in into a pit. Not just that, not just when you've had this, but various kinds of joy. So not only will believers f uh, suffer difficulties and struggles, but believers will um, face various kinds of difficulties, right? I, I said to someone just this week, I said, um, uh, your suffering is not as unique, but not, uh, what did I say? Your suffering is not unique. Your suffering's unique, but not 
uh, unusual. It's not as common to everyone, right? So we all have problems. The details are different, but the problems are similar, right? We had these common experiences of suffering, of falling into times we did not see coming. We spin that wheel, and oh, bad news. I didn't wake up this morning looking for bad news, and the bad news comes in various forms. Oh, the, uh, the word is manifold, manifold problems, many, uh, many folds of problems, literally. Oh, and, and t- speaking of um, hard times, it's a temptation or a trial, it's a test, and not, you know, you always think about tests, anybody like have test anxiety? Like I used to have test anxiety whenever I was a student, I just get all amped up and worked up and freaked out, you know? But it, it also, it's, a, it's like a stress test, you know? Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a car guy, and they, you know, they throw the motor on the dyno, and they run it, and they want to they stress test it and see if it's going to break or if it's going to hold up. Did the work, is the work effective? It's a test. Here's another word you can think of. It's an experiment. It's an experiment, this life is, about what you're made of, about how you're going to hold up on, in hard times. And then going back to what James is saying here, he's saying, brothers and sisters, you should be joyful when you face those experiments. Matter of fact, I kind of think in some major way, 2020 was a great big experiment. What's life really about for you? Where is your confidence in this life? What is your hope in this life? Where do you find joy in this life? So we have this kind of laid out that we're, 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 uh, we're going to be called to lead with joy, and then we're going to suffer hard times. I was... Um, helping out a friend uh, who was going through a really hard time, and they were kind of lamenting all the things that were wrong, and we can do that. And there's nothing wrong with counting out the things that are wrong, being honest about our situation, right? But she looked at me, and in this moment, she she said, um, but I know God will never give me more than I can handle, right? By the way, I wasn't speaking to her in a pastoral capacity, lest you think it was someone in this church, it was not someone in our church, it was someone in the community who's just talking about it, knows I'm a pastor, but wasn't talking because I'm a pastor, just a friend of mine. God will not give me more than I can handle, right? And I thought, oh, man. You know, we, we've been taught that kind of stuff, right? Like, God won't give me more than that. Yeah, no. Now, what do you do in that moment? I'm going to ask you, like, pastorally here as a church family, like, as a believer, what do you do in that moment? Do you go like, that's right. Man, that's terrible advice. You can do this. But you also don't want to say, like, that's not true. (laughs) God give us way more than we can handle. Way more. I always think there should be an addendum on it, right? God will not give us more than we can handle without him. Right? God will not give us more than we can handle without him or with him. Is that how that works? But without him, we we can be easily overwhelmed in this life. As a matter of fact, if I could be so bold as to offer a diagnosis for what's going on often in our culture is we're trying to do life without God and life's falling apart. And I'm not trying to be that know-it-all preacher. I am not. My life's hard. I get it. But when you go your own way and you're like, I got this. I'm going to do it without God. And life's falling apart around you. It's not a mystery what's happening because you are truly overwhelmed. There's been so many things, I can't even get into them all, where people end up just dead-ending on the hopelessness of life without God. They won't admit to God. They won't confess to God. They won't even say they need God. But they will, in that moment, say, um, uh, there's no hope anymore. Can I tell you something real talk? No joke. I spoke to three people this week who were suicidal. Three. 
this week who told me there's nothing worth living for anymore. That's not a joke. That's heavy. What do you say to someone who's at that point in life denying God? And the, and the, and the God thing isn't a ticket out of this. It's not like, well, if they believed in God, they, but the despondency, the hopelessness, is like, yeah, I know, I can... How do you think life makes any sense if none of it matters? See, we're smarter than we think, and we face these hardships. And when we try to do life without God, boy, it becomes super impossible. But let me tell you another part of that, right? But with God, all things are possible. You know what I said to one of those people? I said, you have a purpose. You're here for a reason. I didn't get all preachy and heavy-handed about it. You know what? God's got God's to move in that person's heart to see their life as valuable, to see themselves as a unique creation. Why do we tell those stories all the time here? Why do we celebrate life at Family Bible Church? Because God knit them together in their mother's womb. He placed them in a family. He's with them through all the struggles and difficulties. And there's not a hopelessness in it. God has created them for a purpose. Listen to me. God's created you for a purpose. You know, maybe for you this morning, it's not out there. It's in here. It's not that problem with the other person who's feeling hopeless. It's you feeling hopeless today. God created you for a purpose. The minute you pull that pin out, the whole thing comes down. Life begins to not make any sense at all. But with God, all things are possible. Now, let me tell you something. And with God, all things are possible, including joy in our struggles joy in our hardships. I'm reminded of a story that uh, comes out of the a Bible where it says that the apostles were persecuted for believing in Jesus, right? And they're thrown in jail, and they're released. And it says, as they left the jail, they were overjoyed because they were found worthy to suffer for Jesus. And you go, What? I'd be like, my rights and what I was supposed to get. No, I would not be walking out going, woohoo, wasn't that awesome? <laughs> that, that God found us worthy to suffer like Jesus? Because suffering is not unusual, unusual for Christians. But let me tell you something, or anybody else. But Christians have joy in our hardships. Have you believed that lie? that Christians don't or won't suffer? And I'm asking you that whether you're a believer or a non-believer. Have you, have you believed the lie? Well, it's easier for those Christians because you know, they have God and I don't have God so it's harder for me. Or, or do you believe, are, you, are you one of those that believes, yeah, I have God so everything's better, everything's easier. I mean, everything is better, but everything's not easier, right? That you won't face hardship. You know, one of those questions I get from people all the time is, why would that happen to such a, a good Christian? Like, again, if you read the Bible, it's full of suffering. It's what's going on in this life, hardship, but there's a purpose. And I want to turn now to verses 3 and 4 because I love this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Can I say this? Hardship has a purpose in your life. It's not there by accident. 
It's not there by some fluke of nature. It's not there because God was sleeping that day and didn't pay attention and you didn't pray enough and you didn't believe enough. And that's not what was going on there. God has a designed purpose for hardship for everyone, but especially for believers. It says what? The testing of your faith. I told you I thought 2020 in many ways is a test. Now, let me say something really clearly for a moment, sidestep and just sidebar on this. We make all kind of assumptions about who is and who is not faithful after 2020. I don't want to be so presumptuous. You know, people say, oh, you think you're faithful, you did right. No, I, I probably did this wrong, but I'm trying to be faithful when I'm doing it, right? And maybe you're doing a whole different thing and you're being faithful doing that. So I'm not, I've been around, we were hanging out with some pastors a few weeks ago. And they're like, you can tell who the faithful and who the faithful aren't. I'm like, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But if you're doing it in faith, if you're taking the trial in faith, well, then you're, you're being tested. All these conversations we've had all year are tests of how we deal with hard times, but it has a purpose. What does it say in the Word? The testing of your faith develops perseverance. It, it turns into an endurance. It turns into a long-suffering or a steadfastness, right? As a matter of fact, the Word says that these trials works out, <clears throat> excuse me, works out um, our endurance in our life. Like, literally, it's like, you know, I, one of the things I loved when I was a kid was Play-Doh. You know, you kind of work the Play-Doh, and you work the Play-Doh, right? And you get it to that real nice consistency. You can make cool stuff with this, it. not dry it out anymore or whatever, if you left out. It's working it out to where you're in that final form. You fit. It works. It's a, it's a, a reworking of ourselves that we might be ready for whatever is coming. And what it creates is a patient waiting for what God is going to do. There's a song, uh, Joy Comes in the Morning, right? Like it's a long, dark night, but joy comes in the morning. There's that expectation, that hope, that desire, that longing. You recognize the difficulty. You recognize it face on. You're not in denial. You're not, how are you guys doing? Fine. You know what I'm talking about? Like that fake fine? Fine. You do that fake smile where you pull your mouth aside. Right? You don't seem fine. No, it's crazy right now. So you can say that because enduring that, the testing of our faith works itself out in perseverance, in durability, in endurance. And then look at what verse 4 says. Then perseverance finishes its work. The word, the word there is perfects its work, completes its work in what? So that you may be mature and complete, <clears throat> not lacking anything. You know, I have a, a dear friend who years ago said, man, life's been so hard, and I don't know why, but I'm, I, I can't wait to ask God face to face. And that's one of the most mature, complete, whole human beings all these year later, years later that I've ever known. Like someone I deeply respect. It's like, wow. Not that you would ever wish for that to fall on you. Not that you'd ever desire that. I was just talking to someone else about a young person. They were like, man, it's so tragic. Young people get diseases. Or, and yeah, of course it is, right? But some of that Difficulty and struggle produces some of the most mature, level-headed, service-oriented, eyes-open people I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, can I propose that perhaps it's life on Easy Street 
This made us such a mess. We don't have to go find suffering and hardship. It's already there, but we ought to quit living in denial of it or avoidance of it. It creates endurance for us. What? When we allow, by the way, it says perseverance must finish its work. That's not actually how the Greek reads. It says you must allow perseverance to finish its work. It's a decision you make to let it do its work in your life, making you mature and complete. Mature means fully grown, right? Um, Fully developed. And then complete, which means whole, or having God's full will for your life. Someone said to me, as I said, how could it happen to such a good Christian? Because God's after a better one. Is that crazy? Because God's like, you're going to be changed, and you're going to grow, and you're going to become more complete through this. What's the word say? Lacking nothing. So I said to you, if you're a non-believer, you're like, great. Well, what's that mean for me? It's all about believers, who, right? Listen, God will get your attention through suffering. Happens over and over again. I was just having a conversation with someone. They said, I don't like to think about death. It freaks me out, man. It's God trying to get your attention. I can't talk to my family about it. They don't want to talk about it. God trying to get your attention. One of the greatest stories I've seen, I would never wish on anyone, I would never wish on anyone, was a dear friend of mine who got a critical diagnosis as a young man critical diagnosis. Life was going to be different forever. And there was no last minute relief from the suffering. There was no, ha, you're, you know, you're healed. We prayed for that. But why do we pray? Because as he walked through that diagnosis, he began to realize that life was about more than what he'd always assumed it was about. And he turned to God in that moment and he asked for help and he was changed. To this day, it was the most well-attended funeral I've ever been to, ever. You always think like heads of state and all these muckety-mucks. This guy was, I won't say nobody because he was a somebody, but he wasn't anybody that you would pay attention to. And on the day of his funeral, when we celebrated and praised God for his life, you had this family who knew him since he was believing, and he was wild, man, on fire for Christ, passionate, and not like contingency-based passion, like, if you save me, then I'll believe. He's like, I believe no matter what comes, I'm ready. Let's go. Make the most of this life. And we're like, who's this guy? At the funeral, the other half of that church, I kid you not, was full of people who didn't know who God was from anybody. You knew that old rowdy, crazy dude. And they're like, what happened? And we got to tell that story. I, I, I don't think any of us would say, yes, Lord, have him face that trial of many kinds so that he would come to faith in you. We kind of go, oh, don't cause him to suffer, Lord. Oh, help him to avoid the suffering. But in the moment of suffering, it awakened him to the truth of life, and he entered into eternity with hope that there's a God and a Savior who died for him and that he would live forever and that this wasn't it and this wasn't all that mattered. And it shaped all of us. So what is it for you? Is it a fear of death? Is it a fear of a diagnosis? Is it a fear of something going wrong? Or do you believe that God has a perfect purpose in your hardship? See, it changes your demeanor when you look at it that way, right? It's hard, right? Yeah, it's hard. There's something in it. There's something in it. 
that will cause us to grow. So hardship has a purpose for all of us. And maybe God's trying to wake you up. Maybe you're like, I got it, I got it. And he's like, you ain't got it. You ain't close to got it. He's trying to wake us up. I want you to hear uh, a story from the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to be, uh, or Luke, I'm sorry, Luke. I'm just going to read it. You don't turn it. You can if you want to, but it's Luke 2. Uh, you've heard it before, and I just want you to hear uh, about Jesus. Let's see here. Yeah. So it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, terrified, or they were afraid. But the angel said this, and this is the key one I want to hear. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior, a savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I want to focus on one part of that, though. He said, don't be afraid, because today you're going to have a gift of great joy, the good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. That's what Jesus brings. He, Jesus always brings joy. Jesus always brings joy. And these shepherds are doing their own thing, and it's like, don't be afraid. There's good news coming, and it's great joy. And I want you to see, by the way, great joy is a megas, you know, in the Greek, megas, so mega joy. You know what I mean? So, like, you've been joyful before. You're going to be super stoked about this. Somebody's coming. It's going to change everything. Somebody's here, actually. It's going to change everything. Why? For all people. First of all, how would it be great? How would this be good news of great joy for all people? First of all, for those who are waiting and those who are longing and those who are suffering and those who are hoping for not just their life, but their parents and their grandparents and great grandparents' life, that this Messiah is coming for them. Great joy. <laughs> we got the word hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. But then also, not just those who are longing and waiting, but for those who thought that they were far from God. You know when Jesus broke on the scene, he didn't hang out with the religious people. He was out there hanging out with real people in the street. He was doing the real work of the gospel. And there's, I'm not trying to disparage God's people at all, but he wasn't, that's not where he hung out. He went to people who were the furthest, the lost and the least, and he was like, you're part of what we're doing here. You're included in this. And so this news of Jesus Christ was great joy for those who felt like they were far from God. Here's another one. This is, in, uh, this is the one in Matthew, Matthew 2, 9 and 11. These are different dudes. These are, these are uh, magi, uh, wise men. I'm actually just going to read verse 10. It says this, when the magi saw the star, they were overjoyed. What star did they see? The one they've been pursuing in the east. They've been chasing it and chasing it. The one that they went through Herod to get to. Herod stopped them. He's like, what are you doing here? Oh, we're trying to find this. There's this prophecy. We're trying to find out if it's true or not, right? And it says, when the star stopped, they were overjoyed. They were overwhelmed with joy. And as a matter of fact, when the star stopped and they were overwhelmed with joy, it says, they entered into the place where Jesus lay and they worshiped him. You know the story, right? They brought him gifts. He is the one prophesied. They were from a foreign land, a far land, the far east. And they came on this long journey. Do you think that journey was 
easy for them or hard? Do you think when they set out, they had a longing in their hearts? Or do you think it was, you know, yeah, it was pretty easy for these dudes. Rich guys, camels, the whole bit. Now they were overjoyed when they got there. Or right, let's break it down a little bit more even. We're celebrating Christmas right now. I was thinking about Mary and Joseph. What do you think? Was that easy or hard? Gonna be married. Woohoo! All our dreams are coming true. I can't wait to get married. For, you know, however you look at that. Now, culturally, it's different. I know it's culturally different then, but excited. And then she's pregnant. She's pregnant. What do you do? Is it easy or hard? I've often said, pregnant teenager. Yeah, people say, you know, she might have been 14. She might have been 22. Wasn't planned, wasn't in their plan. What do you do? Joseph, angel comes to Joseph at night and says, Joseph, marry her. What are you thinking? He's going to put her away quietly, not embarrass her. Oh, what a, I thought this was going to be the one. I thought we were going to get married and have a life, but God has to bring an angel and go, dude, it's not what you think. I wonder, do you think, and we read the story and we so kind of brush over this kind of glitterati of the, the holy family, but they were faithful people. Do you think that that was a trial for them, a test for their faith? Not what we planned, not what we expected, but what God is doing in our life. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm open to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow God in this. I'm gonna lead with joy. Do you think Jesus even then was bringing Mary and Joseph joy in those moments of heartbreak or disappointment? Let's hear from Jesus himself. Last place, John John 15, turn there if you would. Or 16, John 16, 20 and 22. This is Jesus teaching the disciples right at the end of his life about what's coming. And he says, and this is where one of those things I want to say, if you say, well, how can Christians suffer? How can it be hard or whatever? Just listen to what Jesus teaches here. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I want you to see both things there. You will weep and mourn while other people are rejoicing. You will grieve. That's a deep, oh, it's not right. But he says your grief, all that not rightness, will turn to joy. He gives an illustration. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I don't know if you're one of those people that just like, like babies, right? Get excited. But that should give us some hope for what's coming. It says, even though the pain, we make, we make a joke about young people actually say, you know, you would never have another baby if you remembered how bad the last one was. <laughs> like so and some of y'all go oh I wish you could have a kid you're like yeah maybe not <laughs> you know because it's crazy but give enough time and it's like man isn't that nice I want to do that again you know what are you thinking don't you remember but the joy that a child is born into the world overwhelms all the hurt all the pain and you say was it worth it yeah totally worth it Totally worth it. 
Look at Jesus 22. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And listen to this promise. No one will take your joy from you. So there's two things I want to pull out of what Jesus teaches there. First, your pain, your suffering, your anguish will turn to joy. Jesus says it's going to happen, right? And then secondly, when you have your joy, it'll never be taken away. We talk about that often. People taking my joy. Nope. <laughs> no. Circumstances taking my joy. No. It might be a hard season of life, but it's going to turn to joy, and no one will remove your joy from you. Specifically here, though, I will make a point to say that Jesus is talking about himself. Faith in him. Absence of him. He says, you will return to joy, and your joy will be forever in me. What a promise that we have from Christ. I uh, picked this wrapping paper today because I love the stripes, right? And uh, I, I uh, did the candy cane thing because um, I don't know if you guys do any decorating or anything uh, for Christmas. Maybe you have a tree. You have other things like that, right? Well, last weekend, whenever Lorenda and her kids were in hanging out with us at the house, we decorated the outside of my house. And we did what my favorite thing is to do since I've become a believer. And before a believer, I would just do whatever, you know. And, but since I was a believer, I like to hang up candy canes. I hang up candy canes because it reminds me of joy, right? And, and um, you probably know this, but candy canes are uh, interesting. I remember when, growing up, um, I didn't have them on my tree as a kid. We have them keep them in a box for some reason, and then you could, you know, pour, you share them with people or whatever. But uh, my dad's house, which is a little more rowdy, they would hang them on the tree. I remember at dad's house, it was unlimited candy. <laughs> you just weren't one, you just took it off the tree. Like picking fruit, man, just eat it, you know? And if you like peppermint, if you don't, they had those other ones that were like zebra or whatever, you know, they were all flavored. And so you'd have it. But I never thought much about the candy cane and what it meant at Christmas. And, and some of you already know this. But if you, if, you co- if you come by our house or anything this holiday season, you'll see two candy canes on our front of our house. And we went out and we hung them up. We hang them upside down. And I asked uh, Habez, I said, Habez, why do you think I'm hanging upside down? He goes, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's why Jesus, right? Because your, your, your struggle, your difficulty is turned to joy. You see that? Your hardship is flipped on its head and turned to great blessing, to joy for you. Uh, the, the candy cane has the shape of a shepherd's hook, right? A shepherd's crook, is that what they call that? And you ever seen one of those things? They're long. You got some reach, and they can hit you with it, and that hurts. And put it around your neck. When I was a kid, I was a kid of the 70s. They had the gong show, and you did stupid stuff. They would throw out the hook, and they would hook you, and they would drag you off like this. You know that guy? <laughs> I go, oh, don't hook me. That's so embarrassing. Grab your neck. You're going the wrong way. Come over here. That's what the shepherd would do. <sighs> Steer the sheep. Embarrassing, painful, hardship, tough times of life. There's two colors in it, right? There's the color of white, which is innocence, and the color of red, which is blood, sacrifice, making us joyful in our sufferings. I don't actually eat candy canes, but I love to see them. I love to think about it. I love to consider Jesus in this time of hardship and suffering. So my final question today is this. Where is your joy where do you find joy in this life? Like, do you find it from some internal 
place of success in your own mind, something you can always count on? Or do you find your joy in the hope that Jesus is making all things right? Maybe not there. There's a God who has not abandoned you in your suffering. That this is no mistake in this life. And that he has a purpose for the hardship. I don't know if you know that today, but I, I want to encourage you to think deeply about the, Christmas of, uh, the season of Christmas and, and what that means for your life. What it means that God sent his son to die so that you could be free. To pay his blood on the cross so that we can be innocent of our sin. If you haven't thought about that, if you haven't considered that, if you haven't talked to God about it, and by the way, we're not gonna have some moment you're gonna come up here and you may, it's about what God is doing in your life, then you need to do it. You need to think about that, what God has done. I'm gonna invite you this morning to respond to Jesus and what he's been teaching you as we pray together. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the joy that Christ brings into our life. We thank you for all the things, including the hard things, the things that we would so often rather go without, but that you have seen fit to put into our lives. And I, I pray, honestly, Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you, if nothing else. That we would look at our life, inventory it, and ask the question of, what is your purpose for the suffering in our life? What have you done? What are you doing that we could be made more like you? And Lord, for brothers and sisters and for non-believers who maybe can't find that right now, they just don't, they're hopeless, they can't find that joy, that hope in the middle of hardship, I pray that you would uh, help them discover that, help us discover that in our own hardship, that you would give us that calm confidence in your grace and your mercy and your work in our lives. Lord, um, I pray that, and we said this last week, I pray that no one's alone in this, and that as much as we are after you and after your leading in our life, that we would be encouragers and listeners and lovers of those who find themselves hopeless right now. Help us to be your ambassadors to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us be ambassadors who would share that they are loved and that they are valuable. And that if nothing else, Lord, if nothing else, if no one else, we would be crushed if they were to not believe the truth of their value. Help us to be those people. We pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.